We here at Yash Jesus believe that God doesn't make mistakes. Not with people and not with produce. Which is why we're so excited to be partnering with Imperfect Foods. Imperfect Foods is an online grocer that recovers ugly produce and surplus foods that would otherwise go to waste. And delivers fresh, customizable boxes to your door for up to 30% less than the grocery stores. We're talking farmer's market quality girls. Without the hassle of going out of your house, honey. Without the hassle. And now, Imperfect has expanded to include pantry staples like lentils, rice, olive oil, and bread, you name it, to help round out your shopping. <laughs> girls, I just got my weekly shipment of imperfect produce, and let me tell you. Ooh, spill it, girl, spill it. I got this ugly little watermelon that puts the pretty little peach in Call Me By Your Name to shame. <laughs> That's the tea! Trust me, you're going to want to get in on this. To get your first shipment of perfectly imperfect farm fresh produce, go to imperfectfoods.com and use the promo code YASJESUS. That's Y-A-S-S-J-E-S-U-S. Welcome to Yas Jesus. We aren't spiritual leaders. We aren't theologians. Or prophets. Or even really that sure of what we're doing. We're just two lost sinners who love the Lord. And want to open up His grace to other people who are on this journey alongside us. This isn't a tutorial on how to be Christian. But rather an exploration on what that actually means. In a safe space. Thank you, and God bless. Hello, kings and queens and in-betweens, sinners, gay saints, and I don't know if I is or I ain't. Welcome to another episode of Yas Jesus. I am your host, Daniel Francesi, and as always, I am here with... Azariah Southworth. And today, we believe more than ever that God... God has ordained a bunch of homosexuals throughout (laughs) history, and they have been canonized as saints. That's what we believe. Welcome to Gay Saints. Gay Saints. We're talking about gay saints today. You're a gay saint, Go on. I'm a descendant of a saint. You are, aren't you? I am. His name is St. John Southworth. He was a Jesuit priest who was martyred for not giving up his faith in the 1600s. So he was canonized in the 50s, and that's the lineage I come from. That's the stock I come from, darling. Live for your lineage, (laughs) darling. Oh, we knew the Southwest. The Southwest? You mean the Southwest Southwest? Is the same Southwest? And we just had the feast of St. John Southworth, which is June 27th. I want my family to have a feast. I know. My Uncle Louie invented Penny Alla Vodka. You could look it up on um, Wikipedia. <laughs> That's pretty cool. <laughs> For an Italian, it is. I don't have any Christian clout, but I'm going to make it. I'm going to make it happen. I'm going to put Franzese on the Christian map. You know what, honey? You got it already. Yeah. You're yes, part of that, that cloud of witnesses. In fact, our verse of the day is that. Oh, my God. So, are you ready? For the scripture of the day. Eight, eight, eight. Scripture of the day. Oh, oh, oh. Scripture of the day. Oh, oh. <laughs> cool. <laughs> Our scripture. Oh, you just got blown away by my note. <laughs> I, I, all I got to do is Mariah, and he gets all kinds of flustered. Honey. All right, so scripture of the day, Hebrews 12, 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely, and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us. Okay. So we are a part of that cloud of witnesses, of those saints. And throughout time, there have been queer saints. Okay. You know, we've existed. 
all along. And so we're going to explore that today. But we got some prayer and praise requests. Prayer and praise reports to get you. (laughs) We got some praise reports and some prayer requests. Are y'all ready? First of all, praise reports mine. Um, you know, we've been very busy and like we took a week off uh, due to Black Lives Matter. Mm-hmm. And I think that that was a big mint that was both like a social media outpour, a, a call to action and a mental break for a lot of people to regroup and find out how we were going to uh, help this movement mm-hmm. move along. And one of the things that we thought to do was to give our space. Yeah, to amplify other voices that need to be heard during this time. So we invited our friends from the podcast of the Sacred Inclusion to air their episode that they did with Bishop Yvette Flunder. So it was... Okay, so hold up. Bishop Yvette Flunder. Now, mm. you recommended this podcast, correct? No, one of our producers found oh, it. Okay. But I'm well aware of Bishop Yvette Flunder. Yeah, because Loved you... Loved her for years. We were, we're in, oh, obviously, we have an inter-clerical like, email situation to make the podcast happen. Mm-hmm. And in that discussion, you were very excited yes. about Bishop yes. Yvette Flunder. I, as soon as I saw her name attached to her, I was like, this is going to be good this is yes. and like part of me is always like a little bit eye roll i'm like azariah the biblical <laughs> nerd of course he knows everybody you know what i mean like but i took the time because i really wanted to obviously listen to that episode and take that moment in mm-hmm. for african-american especially particularly queer voices in that movement yeah. and oh my god it blew me away it's a beautiful conversation it really is i urge you urge you urge you this is my thanks to god and to the podcast of Sacred Inclusion and, and Bishop Yvette Flunder for lending us their voices. Because let me tell you, it actually opened up something inside of me. One of the things that she said will stick with me forever and now is going to be part of the very fabric of how I speak when I speak upon okay. Christianity. What, what was that? She said that the greatest, and I might be slightly paraphrasing, sure. but she's like, do you think God is done talking just because yeah, men yeah. were finished writing? Yeah. Yeah, the, she, she, she said, said, she said uh, the greatest yeah. injustice that they ever did to the Bible was put a back cover on it. Come on, come on! If that is not the word, yeah. If that is not the word, and if people need to hear that, and it opens it up to me. I mean, even we just talked, you know, uh, recently about how all the things that are happening in the Bible, the horrors and all of the everything, miracles are all happening in different places in our world today, mm-hmm. in different aspects. You know, things just as horrible as we we could read about in the Bible are happening today. Mm-hmm. So just because the Bible stopped being recorded doesn't mean that God is done That's speaking right. and we are done get learning a lesson. That's right. So that was very powerful to me. I want to thank them for that i'm grateful to god for that lesson and that's my praise report oh that's great right and we also had a prayer request yeah um our prayer request was anonymous but one of the things that was spoken upon by we'll call her allison she feels that the more she searches up lgbtq ia plus affirming gay content the more she's looking for it the more Mm -hmm. she's searching for it Mm -hmm. that she just prays for some peace because there's just not a lot of I mean, we, we know, of course, a lot of a great, of great resources, but mm-hmm. she feels like the more she's looking into it, into Christianity, the more non-affirming it is. And it makes her doubt everything. Mm-hmm. It makes her doubt her sexuality. It makes her doubt her spirituality. Mm-hmm. She's just finding doubt when she's out searching for things. And honestly, I'm so glad that you found us mm-hmm. um, because we're just looking too, you know, and I think that that's part of the lesson of God in general is just to always be searching and looking for answers and trying to find God in everything you do. 
That was a firework. So <laughs> if God is not spoken, if that did not get picking up, <laughs> picking up, if that did not get picked up, there was just a firework in the background right when I said God had spoken. So, hey, <laughs> hey. we heard it. <laughs> oh. So what do you think on that? Do you have any to, anything to add for Allison? Yeah, I would say to Allison that this is the process that each and every single one of us walk through when we are walking away from toxic theology that we've been indoctrinated with. You know what's fun is something that uh, Azzy and I do sometimes when we're doing a little bit of research, and this might be like a fun tip, is we try to find the biggest hater. <laughs> we, we try to find the biggest <laughs> hater of the subject that we are studying, and they always give all the good juice and information. They're always going like, we are going to denounce homosexuality yeah. in every corner. We know everything they're going to say, there mostly no. because they're usually gay themselves, but they're yep. like, we know every single single thing they're going to say and we're going to find it and we're going to like debunk it and we're going to like and so they list all of these great site and sources <laughs> yeah so it's like if you're for you know um actually there's probably a great video out there against gay saints like our mm-hmm. episode today yeah and when we were researching that there was a couple i'm not even going to find them i'll let you go and find those disgusting feel free to give them a thumbs down and I don't ever advocate making fun of someone's appearance, but the gentleman who hosts the one that you're going to find has very unusual hair, and I think you should make fun of it uh, <laughs> because he's an ex-gay, and it probably means a lot to him. But other than that, I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't take anything else he says seriously. Uh, he does probably have a good gay hairdresser, though. Um, but let me tell you. She's so, just really, really mad. <laughs> she's mad at him. I think sometimes the haters are the best places to find resources is the ultimate answer, Allison. Like, I think if you went and found the biggest hater, they'll be like, and don't read this article. And in this video, they say this. And this guy says that. And then go look up that guy. Yeah, go, read and watch, watch those the video. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, that's kind of how sometimes we work backwards through the Lord's work. Um, and so let, let your haters be your motivators. Mm-hmm. And so now we get to get to the good part. We are going to start talking about gay saints. Yeah, so when we come back, we're going to drop some bombs on you about some gay saints out there, y'all. No. <laughs> we'll be right back after this. Right, and we are back with Lazaro Mancia, who is an Oxford-studied individual on medieval times, especially when it comes to saints, and he is a teacher to the Hollywood stars. Oh, what do you teach, Lazaro? I teach history, and I teach English, basically all the liberal arts, but my background is actually in classics, so I have a special love for Latin and Greek and all those dead languages. Oh, I love that. And you teach that to the stars? What does he mean by that? I am based here in Los Angeles, and I have a handful of clients that live in the area. Oh, I, well, I love that. So like, if I wanted to get better at math, I can call you. <laughs> I've been teaching my niece in second grade, and I'm looking to further my own schooling. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, yeah. I'm happy to, happy to share whatever knowledge I have. Well, well, school me today on the saints, yeah, girl. Yeah, Lazaro is here to spill the tea on the saints. So, Lazaro, we have a few saints here that our freaking deacon Ross has prepared for us. So, one that we have up here is St. Sebastian. Yes, St. Sebastian. He's a late antique saint, so a few generations after the apostles. When you think of St. Sebastian, what kind of comes to mind? BDSM. Okay, why is that? 
What do we know about his story? Well, because of all the art that has been produced. Oh yeah, around a lot Saint of his. Sebastian. He has a lot of violent and like tied up. Right, mm-hmm. his hands are tied up, kind mm-hmm. of like uh, like. So he's been used as a reference a lot of times for different like BDSM shoots and inspiration for a lot of sadomasochism. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can always tell his iconography because he's always pierced with arrows, very phallic, and that is his kind of trademark. Although that didn't kill him. What did kill him? I think he was beheaded or something like that. Usually they're beheaded. That's usually the thing that kills them all. Hagiography <laughs> tends to follow similar patterns and formulas, but beheading is usually the common endpoint. Give us a little background on St. Sebastian. Like, where was he from and what did he do that made him a saint? And then what kind of made him this BDSM figure? So he was a general in the military, and he was in charge of a handful of soldiers and such. He was actually middle-aged, and the reason we know this is because one of the earliest depictions we have of him is in a church in Rome. It's a Byzantine mosaic, and it shows him like older, bearded, looking like kind of like a daddy, middle-aged general. Mm-hmm. So that's like the earliest photo. He's like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, forever daddy. So, so that was who he was. When we think of like images of him and stuff, we see him as this Twinkie boy being pierced with arrows. Was he on a crucifix at all? You know, I'm thinking of a Dolly painting, but that's St. John of the Cross. That's someone else. I'm not sure. It's possible. I know usually he's kind of hung up on a tree because that's how he okay. was shot up with. Because what comes to mind is that, and I never understood it before because I grew up Pentecostal Christian. I didn't grow up Catholic. So I'm like basic level one kindergarten here with mm-hmm. y'all today trying to Same. learn some things. But I do remember in the movie Carrie at the end when Piper Lou. There are spoilers ahead. When Carrie's mom dies, she gets knives in her that match what appears to be mm-hmm. Jesus on a cross, but he has arrows in him. I see. I and, see. And I had never seen I had never seen that that iconography before, so I wasn't sure if that had something to do with it. I mean, those sorts of wounds, like whether it's a stigmata or, you know, which shows up with like people like St. Francis or St. Teresa of Avila is like kind of this, these arrows, kind of divine love. They kind of all love and pain and ecstasy and divine revelation all kind of merge into one with wounds. It's a very, very Christian thing. Okay, so St. Sebastian was a general in the army. He was gorgeous. Tell us more. Spill the tea on him. So he is the general of the Praetorian Guard, which is like the... You know, he's pretty high up there. Mm-hmm. And a couple of the people under his leadership are, you know, accused of being a Christian. And he has secretly been a Christian as well. And he actually outs himself as a Christian, which is, I think, a big reason why, like, his story is so important for queer Christians, because, you know, he outs himself as, I also am a Christian. He was in the closet as a Christian. Yeah, he, has a coming mm. out, he has a coming out moment. Right. Exactly. And they say, oh, well, we need to make an example of him because he's one of their leaders. So he ends up being tortured and he is shot with arrows and left for dead. And there's different accounts with these different saint stories. Sometimes the the details differ slightly, but someone goes to claim the body to give him a proper burial so that he isn't, you know, eaten by wolves. And he's actually found alive. And so he's Mm. taken to the apartments of the emperor in, in secret to, you know, to recover. And when he's a little bit better, he, you know, realizes, you know, where he is and he confronts the emperor. He goes down the stairs while the emperor is supposed to be coming, you know, up from whatever business he was doing. And he, he again attacks him and says, you know, you call yourself the emperor, but it's really, you know, God who's in control. And he is, you know, then done away with probably with a beheading Mm. so he was a general of the army he comes out as a christian is 
tortured for this. And then is that where we get the image of him with the arrows in the side and his arms like tied up above his head? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Okay. Which, exactly. by the way, I just looked up and it is in the movie Carrie. Uh-huh. Um, a lot of people always thought it was like some sort of image of Jesus. Uh-huh. But when Carrie's mother dies at the end, she is killed in, with the arrows and mimics her statue of St. Sebastian. Interesting. What What's the inspiration to St. Sebastian within the BDSM community? Are you aware of that? I am not. No, I know there's a handful of films that kind of depict or kind of riff off that story, but no, I'm I'm not terribly familiar with. I mean, it's not too hard to f- figure. I think that you know, tying and mm-hmm. uh, torturing. Yeah, I just don't get like the connection of BDSM to Saint Sebastian. I just don't get it. My sister tied me to a pole in the basement when I was a kid. Is that, you know, like, <laughs> I don't know. You know, a lot of these things, you never know when someone identifies with something, somebody might find some identity in the coming out story as we spoke gotcha. about. Okay. And then that mm-hmm. same person might also have an identity in the BDSM community. So perhaps the crossover there of queer and, uh-huh. you know, and the violence uh, okay. created something. And also, you know, when you go to look back on images, I mean, we didn't really get a lot of images of BDSM that we could look at. So a lot of this stuff that they had to look at that were representative of a BDSM community were in religious iconography and in old art. Okay. So that was something that they can look at for inspiration. You know, before we had Robert Mablethorpe and all these other people who were creating sort of tribe and a group of people that were into the same thing and it becoming normalized in sexuality. It was a lot of religious iconography was, was where we would look to find imagery like that. So, Lazaro, you studied medieval times at Oxford University. In your studies, did you find that BDSM was a practice during this time? You know, my area of research has been studying really dusty manuscripts about monastic stories and, you know, ways of life. There are some really interesting ones about self-mortification or mortification mm-hmm. of the flesh. That's a very common thing you find in a lot of accounts, manuals. In, in monastic circles, but BDSM specifically for sexual intercourse is, is something that isn't really, the connections aren't made there. It's more when there's torture involved, it's usually, it has a religious kind of undercurrent to right. it. Right. And I think that's where I was, I was kind of getting to is that the perpetuators of the torture, like even in the Spanish Inquisition, I wonder if they were like wicked, but also were practitioners of BDSM, if there was a, any historical evidence pointing to that, or I don't know. Okay. I'm going <laughs> like, to Do they love chapter. their job? <laughs> <laughs> do they love their job too much? <laughs> I will say this, and we can end Sebastian on this note, is that just being in the movie Carrie makes him a gay icon. <laughs> very true, very true. <laughs> so that alone is enough for me. But I do like the coming out aspect. I, I, I bet you that that has been something that has freed many people, mm-hmm. um, especially in the Catholic Church, is notorious for denouncing and hiding uh, homosexuality. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the story of Lazarus and the Bible as well, this kind of coming from the tomb, it's all tied in there in the same kind of milieu of, you know, with Sebastian, especially, you know, you tr- he confronts the emperor, you tried to kill me, you tried to get rid of my story and who I am. And I'm here to tell you, guess what? A moment of pride and a moment of resisting. Exactly. Exactly. It's a good scene to look at with uh, the current climate of where the LGBTQ community is at. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yes. All right. Now that we've spilled the tea on Sebastian. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to take another sip. Oh, we know all got. about Sebastian now. Who else you got as a queer saint? St. Francis, right? Ooh, tell us about St. Francis. St. Francis. Of a sissy that walk, right? St. <laughs> <laughs> Francis of a sissy that walk. Wow. <laughs> 
St. <laughs> Francis is someone who's always been thought of as a queer saint, correct? Yes. There, there's so many interesting kind of perspectives on that, because sometimes you have saints that are queer, they're kind of outside the kind of conventional world of theology, sexuality, and such. And then you also have their literature or their sermons, you know, evidence, you know, a same-sex attraction or identity as well. So it's it's really difficult because oftentimes you really kind of only have two options. You either become a monk or a nun and devote your life to right, God, right. or you become um, a married person and you participate in the economic world. If you become a monk or a nun, you have a lot of autonomy and you're able to kind of live your life in a more free way, which is the great proclivity for a lot of people who were gay or lesbian or however they chose to identify. Um, in oh, that absolutely. Way. It was a way for a gay man to like have instant respect to be a clergyman and to also like living by the idea that being gay isn't the sin, but acting upon it is. So it was okay exactly. for them to still continue to be gay. A lot of priests were always theatrical and grandiose and always like charming. And that's what brought people to the church. I mean, the Catholic church especially, but the church, I think, owes a lot of its detail and beauty and theatrics mm-hmm. to the queer people who for years have been within the church. Oh, absolutely. If you if you have any question about gay presence in the church, go to the Sistine Chapel. You know, <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. Lots spend of some time <laughs> at Notre Dame, spend some time looking at the pretty things because that's what we like. <laughs> yeah, it's so true. <laughs> Um, and all the pomp and circumstance of the uh, the urn and the you know the gown. Mm-hmm. Did you ever know the mm-hmm. Tulula Bankhead quote where she met like um, like an archdiocese of a church or whatever, and he was in the gown with the hat and the the urn of incense, and she was like, "The gown is fabulous. I love your hat, but your purse is on fire." <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. <laughs> such, oh, I love that. Yeah. Uh, she was very outspoken, uh, queer icon to the bankhead has many, many great quotes. I'll just throw one more in because I just can't resist, even though there's nothing to do. <laughs> but she was notoriously bisexual and she told the press, she said, my dad always warned me about men and booze, but he never said nothing about women and cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what's better than a Tulula quote? I mean, what's gayer than that? <laughs> uh, but yes, so the contributions to the church by queer people are like completely obvious and um, overpouring. But back to St. Francis. Yeah, so what makes St. Francis one of the most beloved religious figures of all time, but especially like a gay queer saint icon? I think his queer identity is really kind of cemented in his vision. He has this Christ comes to him and he has this kind of come to Jesus moment, this kind of reawakening of of this mission to actually kind of be the church and kind of put away a lot of kind of the church's decadence and a lot of the things that were not entirely focused on, you know, the core gospel message. And so that's why, you know, he set the example by, you know, walking around naked, taking about poverty, you know, these sorts mm-hmm. of things. There, there's all sorts of stories attached to him in that way. He is referred to as mother, which is an interesting um, linguistic change. Yes. In some cases, he starts this kind of new movement of monastics that live off of the charity of others so that the church can kind of be, you know, the church of the poor and not just be the kind of established hierarchy. That I have to do it one more time. Call me mother. A sissy that walk. <laughs> I had to. Sissy that walk, Saint Francis. Sissy that walk. A sissy that walk. You're missing the joke. Okay, sorry. I know. I was halfway through what I was saying when I got the joke, and I was like, "I'm committing." Stay on your own jokes. Okay. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) 
Continue. I'm sorry. Another interesting title that is, is, is attached to him is, you know, Lady Poverty. So you have a female trinity that comes to him and gives him this title of Lady Poverty, reaffirming and cementing his kind of very like unconventional, but but still reorienting, recentering back to a gospel. I'm gonna have to stop. Uh, a female trinity? Yeah, I don't know how much more to like say about that, but what does that mean? So three individuals visit him in this story. And the three individuals are kind of associated with the Trinity. Like the, the Father, Son, Holy Ghost Trinity? Yes. Yeah. So it's like Trinity to the Tuck, Trinity K. Bonet, <laughs> and then like Ginger Minch. I'm just trying to figure this out. <laughs> like, all the, I wish there was one more Trinity. <laughs> okay, so wait. To me, anyway, and to us, we always see God as genderless. So this would make sense, especially with his calling of Lady Poverty and flipping the gender roles and saying mother. I remember reading something about him uh, telling the monks that they had to mother each other mm. and just about using mm-hmm. using that term as a verb as opposed to like a transcending gender. Mm-hmm. And I think that anytime you hear about anything within the Catholic Church that's transcending gender, like we need to like pay attention and give it props. Yeah, absolutely. I could see why the vision would be of feminized trinity um and i just wonder what a queen holy ghost looks like (laughs) well i mean that's the interesting thing right and i learned this in my syriac studies class that in the syriac language the trinity is referred to as a she so like the genderless aspect of god ties in with you know mother as this other expression of who god is and then like lady poverty is like his pop star name (laughs) <laughs> yeah lady poverty was going to be my instagram handle but i i went with religious trade my name is daniel poverty from the house of poverty <laughs> this is my mother lady poverty you can call her from mother the city of the cc yes we, we come from that a sissy. <laughs> the house of a sissy <laughs> the house of a sissy i love it i love that that's great so <laughs> all right moving right along because we got a lot of queer saints that we got to hit here so there are the patron saints of same-sex couples can you tell us about them do you know who i'm talking about so oftentimes and you see this in the mass I mean, you'll have saints that are paired together so peter and paul is a common one probably mm-hmm. most people are uh, familiar with but other ones that end up um kind of making the cut in like they they were kind of coupled <laughs> together are saint sergius and bacchus they're okay. two male soldiers what are your names neil and bob or is that what you do <laughs> <laughs> andrew dice clay joke <laughs> Actually, they're a male couple that are coupled together pretty early on. And again, there's there's some interesting linguistic variation with how they're described as a couple. Mm-hmm. And that goes back to the brother-making ceremony, which is something that was done in antiquity. And that's something that it's kind of the same... A brother-making ceremony? Yes. We're, we're touching on all the controversial... Touch it. All of this. Touch all <laughs> Touch of this. all of it, honey. That's why we are spilling tea. We want to know. We need to know. <laughs> This is tea time, honey. So in the Greco-Roman world, you get married. It's an economic transaction between families. You merge dowries, etc. Who you sleep with, who you love, all that is a totally different thing. So institution versus kind of attractions and desire is, is totally divorced from each other. If it happens to coincide, awesome. But it seldom does. Sure. A lot of marriages are arranged. Yes, absolutely. That's a big thing. So another kind of arrangement, it's called edophopoesis, which is brother making, which some people argue that this is like the first example of like a same sex union. Some people argue that it's just two men that are have a committed friendship. Well, we got into David and Jonathan before. Mm-hmm. Like, We know they're 
Yeah, this isn't happening in a vacuum. There's plenty of examples of, of committed relationship. And so in doing so, these two soldiers, they become Christians mm-hmm. and they refuse to sacrifice. And that's usually how they get found out. They refuse to sacrifice to the gods. In this case, they refuse to sacrifice to Jupiter. And so they get arrested. And in order to humiliate them, they're made to wear women's clothing. Sounds fun. And so they're like, oh, like you call yourself a bride of Christ. All right, you get to dress up like one. And they mm. parade, and they These get paraded around the city. Get paraded around the city in women's clothes. Uh-huh. Is this like is this like a Game of Thrones like shame moment? Like is this like they're like it's like a parade where everyone's laughing and throwing things at them? Yes, it's to humiliate them. They're paraded around the city. They're paraded, but they actually take over the chant and start singing like "We're Brides of Christ." It's it's total subversion to the system. Wow, that reminds me of Stonewall. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. we are the Nelly girl, and they just like do the whole uh, yep. climb. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Please tell me that their feast day, because all saints have a feast day, right? So please tell me that their feast day, it's required for you to show up in a wedding dress and prance around. On your feast day? I, <laughs> On the feast day for these I two. I mean, that's a great way to keep the feast. I mean, there's no like hard and fast rule. I mean, we'd have to wait till October to do this. We got plenty of time to put an outfit together. I'm so. planning already. I don't remember the entire Stonewall song, but just for people who don't know, when they were battling right at the front of the Stonewall fight and protest and everything, there was a group of queer guys who looked like they were about, to, they were faced with all of these guys in riot gear, and they just joined arms and legs and did a... a kick line and saying we are the nelly girls we wear our hair in curls and just sang this whole song and they just kept doing a kick line in front of the cops they didn't even know what to do and sort of like uh, used their nelliness their gayness to sort of diffuse the situation to where it confused the the police (laughs) so this reminds me of this right now we're going to they're dressed up they're they're being uh, taken through the town game of thrones style it's like shay throwing things saying everything at them but instead they just like r- take the runway, honey, and they are we're brides of Christ, and they just walk proudly as brides of Christ through the square. Exactly, that's and, incredible. I love this yeah, story. Yeah, no, the, martyr, the stories of the martyrs are pretty insane. Okay, one of my favorite. This is a, a little aside. Saint Lawrence, he's the one that's associated with the griddle. He was uh, burned alive on a you know on a barbecue, basically, and he said to, to the emperor, "All right, this side's done. You can flip me over now." Wow. So these, I mean, there's all kinds of wild stories. Like still throwing shade at the very end. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) I love that. That is true strength. All right. Now there's these two girls from North Africa who are the patron saints of same-sex couples, Perpetua and Felicity. Tell us a little bit about them. What's what's the story on that? So they have a really interesting account because Perpetua is the actual author of the story. She actually writes in jail. She has a young child, and I believe it's Felicitas that um, is pregnant and then gives birth in jail, and then she gives her baby to her sister before they they're they're killed. So they're from North Africa, but how they died is what kind of made them the patron saints of same sex couples, right? the account that I know of, wild animals are the instrument in which people attempt to kill them, but it wasn't until they, they're, they're killed kind of clinging and bound to each other. Right. So what I read was that they were put into an arena in Carthage to battle a cow. Yes. So Roman law says you can't kill 
somebody who's pregnant and you cannot kill a woman who is nursing. So very similar to St. Sebastian, St. Cecilia, to a lot of the other saint stories, they get beheaded. And the cow was chosen specifically because a cow is a, it's a female creature. It's again, this kind of source of life and it's often associated with, you know, milk and cheese and, you know, nurturing, nursing. And so it was going to be a great insult for them to be, you know, for these women to be killed by you know, this, this kind of fertility symbol. Um, but, but them, um, kind of embracing in a kiss, um, is the, is the way that they're killed and are, you know, again, you know, these two of these saints that are, uh, paired together. I'm going to, um, I, in, in reading the account explicitly, I don't necessarily see a lot of correlation between them two as like a same sex couple. Um, if, cause they, cause they both like have a uh, perpetuous husband isn't mentioned in the text mm-hmm. and Felicity, her husband, I believe is, but, um, they, but again, you know, it's, it's, it's so hard. It's almost impossible to kind of understand, to be able to definitively say this is the nature of their relationship because of, Roman institutions with marriage. But again, with a lack of queer imagery and a lack of queer iconography out there in the world and in literature, stuff that was censored, stuff that was destroyed, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. art, paintings, music, for a queer person to have to look to something as an image that they could just hold on to mm-hmm. the image of two of them embracing and kissing is uh, in, 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 in the most dire moment seems intimate and in a way queer. Right. And I imagine mm-hmm. that the people that follow saints and get a lot of inspiration and spirituality from praying to the saints that in the research, they've probably read the story and, and were a queer person and, and, and saw that connection. But had and, not even knowing the story, like as a person like me, I don't know, in, I don't know anything about saints. I'm learning now, right? Mm-hmm. But if I saw an image of two women like an embrace like that and kissing, it's it's probably very, one of very few images of two women kissing that was allowed sure. to be depicted during that mm-hmm. time and to still exist from that time. One thing that's funny and what I think really identifies with queerness in a weird way on House of Style on MTV, Todd Oldham. He'd be like, go into a Home Depot and treat every single thing in the hardware store like you don't know what it's for. And you could create like amazing things. And he, you know, he would do that. I think that's, it's the same way with queerness. It's like, if we look at all this iconography, Mm -hmm. if we look at all of this stuff, especially if we've been ostracized from religion, so that stuff doesn't hold Mm -hmm. like a bearing to a lot of people. And we look at all of this stuff, what do we think it's for? You know, and I think through time, that image, as horrific as it is, which is what made them saints, right? Mm -hmm. Um, That image has probably given a lot of people peace and a lot of people, um, an image that they could hold on to of something that made them feel normalized. Right. We're always looking for something that we can see ourselves in mm-hmm. and, and for that representation. And so it makes total sense that people would, would see that in the story. Yeah. And oftentimes, you know, the associations tied to saints or tied to particular individuals is sometimes very arbitrary. Going back to like St. Sebastian, for example, he became popular as being the patron saint, like you said, um, against the plague. And that's actually kind of where he transforms into like this like twinky golden boy who's, you know, pierced with arrows. Mm-hmm. Um, because prior to that, they're like, well, if, if we're praying to you against the plague to like not get the plague, then we're going to want to have an icon of somebody, a, a depiction of somebody who looks healthy, healthy. Yeah. and not like this, like... <sighs> 
Byzantine daddy, you know? That's mm-hmm. so funny. So that's how we get this image of him at younger. Mm-hmm. Even in Carrie, I thought it was Jesus because he was, he's the way he was portrayed in that. That was so beautiful. Like it's so interesting. Oh wow. You know, they've changed yeah. so many things and they alter so many things to keep us interested. And ki- I think that's something that's so bizarre about religion is that so many people follow sacraments and laws and, and things that have nothing to do with anything God said in the Bible. Yeah. What I was going to ask is so, so there's steps to becoming a saint. Yes, in the in the Catholic Church, that is that is correct. You have to have miracles identified with you. Mm-hmm. If it's yeah, exactly. So um, if there's enough popular opinion, if there's enough you know people, enough people they say, hey, this person was really holy, or this person was you know really important to you know our community and our faith. If Mother Teresa accomplished sainthood. Am I correct? Yes. And that process is because she had, you know, a couple of people claimed miracles that were attached to her. It was through her prayer, her intervention that something happened and it's verifiable, you know. So you were speaking on a saint who is vulnerable, you're saying? Yes. And this happened fairly recently. Going back a little bit to Joan of Arc, Joan of Arc wasn't actually canonized as a saint until I think the 1920s. So hundreds of years later, she's finally, the church says, oh, you know what? She actually was really important to um, our faith and our community, and we want to honor her in that way. Another person that that's happened to recently is Sister Juan Inez de la Cruz. She's Latin America's first feminist, really. Mm. Her family, she grew up in, in Mexico and became a really fascinating life. She was she was raised in a in a, in a noble family, um, was always really interested in reading and stuff like that, um, became a nun. And then she wrote a ton of poetry, a ton of theological texts, a ton of critique. She was she was critiquing bishops' sermons. Actually, that's what got her in trouble. But she was very much, you know, in defense of like the right of women, especially women in in the church, to be able to talk about these sort of things, which was more like a men's only mm, uh, another subject. men's only club. Let me and ask you so, a question. I have a question. Yeah. Do you, do you is there anyone that you think should be a saint that isn't a saint yet? That you would like, if you got a vote, that you would give a vote to? Me. <laughs> Somebody who isn't a saint. Yeah, like Dr. Phil. I'm just kidding. Hmm. Like the cash oh, mouth, like the cash outside girl. <laughs> <laughs> well, the funny thing about, about sainthood is you have to be dead in order for it to, to work. You know? Right, 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 right. Oh, I see um, what you're saying. So, so or, or at, least, at least for it to be taken seriously or whatever, you know, um, so Gandhi. I'm trying to think of like, Gandhi. who's recently dead that I would be like, yeah, this person, Maya Angelou is the one is the, is the woman that comes to uh, mind. Maya Angelou. Yeah. Her, I think yeah, she yeah, distills yeah. a lot of values and ideas and inclusion. <gasps> Mr. Rogers. In- Mr. Rogers would be one. Jim Henson. <laughs> no, nah, not really. No. I feel like he probably did like crazy things too. Like nothing bad, but like, (laughs) (laughs) oh, wow. Well, you're a saint for coming on this show. We just appreciate you so much. Yeah. Thanks for sharing your knowledge with us, Lazaro. Yeah, of course. Of course. Happy to, happy to be on. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I love talking about this. I could talk about this for ages. Yeah. Well, we'll definitely have you back on the next time we get into saints part two, the Mm. search for more gayness. Yeah. Where are all the queer saints at today? We're going to find you. We're gonna find you and 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 we're gonna uplift you and we're gonna <laughs> love on you and we're gonna light a candle. 
if anybody at home has a person that they want to nominate as a queer saint, send us in uh, uh, yeah. a person that you think is just a modern day queer saint that's doing something really special in the LGBTQIA community, lifting people up. Um, if you want to give them a little shout out, give us a little note about your queer saint. Yeah, who's your queer saint? We want to hear about it at Yes Jesus Pod <laughs> on Instagram, or you can email us at pray at yesjesuspod.com. Thank you for listening again. Thank you so much for joining us, Lazaro. Of course, of course. Thank you for having me. And as always, I'm Daniel Francesi, and I'm Azariah Southworth. And you can find him at Religious Trade and me at What's Up Danny and us at Yas Jesus Pod. And until next time, God bless. This is another episode of Yas Jesus. Jesus.